Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. We're awful glad you're with us. On this week's episode, we highlight how a couple really bright students have persevered during COVID-19 to do big things in agriculture. We'll also hear about the coronavirus's impact on the pork industry, and we'll hear about the Dodge Ram Agriculture Program. Finally, we'll hear from a legend in traditional Western music, the singing Sierran, Rich Price. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, one of the groups that was largely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic was school students from kindergarten on all the way up through college. It was no exception for our first guest this week, Grace Hasler from Columbus, Indiana. Grace is a student at Purdue University, and this week it was announced that she was named the winner of the American Farm Bureau Federation's Young Farmers and Ranchers Virtual Collegiate Discussion Meet. What's remarkable is that she took top honors in just her first year participating in the event, which is typically held in person. Grace, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today for a bit. So what was that experience like going into this? Uh, first of all, you tell me it was the first time you'd actually participated in this to begin with, and then to do it virtually. What was that like? Yeah, well, like I kind of mentioned to you earlier, this is my first time really being involved in any sort of discussion meet. Well, really before everything started to hit the fan with covid the day before we were supposed to go down to compete in the discussion meet and what you would almost call real life, it got canceled. Mm-hmm. So it got postponed. And then instead of going in rounds like you would in person, you almost can compare the discussion meet to tournament play that you would see with a Big Ten basketball conference. Uh, so instead of competing in each round for the first two rounds of it being virtual, each contestant submitted a three-minute video over one of two prepared questions that had been given us to given to us prior so we submitted a three-minute video on two of those questions in order to go through the first two rounds well then after that it was announced that i'd made it to the sweet 16 and in the sweet 16 round we got to actually have a zoom call with other contestants then it was announced that i had made it onto final four and then uh last friday night at 7 30 i got uh, the announcement that i had won and my family was screaming in the kitchen and it was Honestly, competing in the discussion meet was never really a contest. It was just a way to be able to sit down with people from different backgrounds to try to find solutions for some of the things we struggle with in the agriculture community. But it was really an incredible experience. And quite frankly, it being virtual didn't affect it too much as far as the quality of the contest, I didn't feel like. Mm-hmm. And we should kind of back up and mention, uh, for folks who are unfamiliar, uh, participants in the contest are judged on their ability to exchange ideas and information on agriculture topics and then find answers or solutions related to it. So tell us a bit about what you addressed. Yeah, well, I'll go ahead and just tell you a little bit about the final four round. Mm-hmm. And in that round, there were five pre-given questions So we kind of had to have our ideas together as to what we wanted to talk about. And in that final round, it was about addressing labor shortages and uh, specifically how to find innovative ways to come up with better labor for farm systems. 
So something that uh, I personally addressed during that conversation was hiring out contract workers and how that was often better than migrant workers. And then also Farm Bureau investing and breaking down the barriers that are keeping us from implementing advanced farm technology into modern agriculture. And then a lot of everything else that was discussed were reforms on H-2A visas, bringing in uh, opportunities for companies to connect with collegiate students. There were a lot of really cool ideas. And it was interesting to see a very, um, I want to call it structured conversation where everybody was fairly adamant about their ideas, but where people were willing to look at another side of things to say, you know what? Yeah, I can see that solution working really well. But the contest, it was incredible. The students were there and it really just makes me excited to be involved in a generation of agriculture like what is up and coming. And you talk about both of those topics. They're they're very hot topics right now in agriculture. Tell us if we could go a little bit deeper on the the whole uh, labor shortage issue and H2A. Uh, What what were uh, uh, some of the high points of that discussion and and what were some of the conclusions that were reached? Yeah, now specifically what was asked in the question, it actually said we're not really having much luck getting through to Congress what we believe as agriculturalists should happen with immigration. So that was a big discussion of uh, how to adapt H-2A visas. So one of the gals in our discussion was from Mississippi, and she talked a little bit about the parolee program and maybe being able to implement people like that. Another gal from Wisconsin talked about Farm Bureau's Patriot Project. And so that would allow veterans to come in and do agriculture labor. So there were really a lot of overarching, this could be seen as a solution. For me, uh, I'd spoken to a man from Nebraska who hires out contract crews, a girl from New York that's a dairy farmer, a tomato farmer from Indiana, and then even a South Texas ranch family. And the common consensus that I found from there was that they struggled to hire migrant workers because of the difficult process with the H-2A visas. So while absolutely we should look into that, continue to try reforming it and putting it through Congress, I think that a better short-term solution was looking for contract migrant workers or bringing in parolees or simply people that are unemployed or have lower levels of education. So something that we really talked about as a group was reaching out to people besides migrant workers because that piece of the industry is so unsteady, especially with everything that's going on. So when did you start researching the topic and how long did you spend on it? Well, uh, like I said, there were five pre-prepared, pre-prepared questions mm-hmm. and Amy Osborne actually did really well in this competition, made it to the final four at the American Farm Bureau Federation level, whereas I was at the Young Farmers and Ranchers level, which is almost considered more collegiate. Uh, but Speaking with her, we really, really got involved on the on the mental health crisis in rural America. A lot of focus on that question, and then a lot of focus on cell-based meat. But then from there, it really just took a lot of talking to different people who are in different situations, which is kind of the goal of the discussion meet anyway. So when I was researching these topics, it was really about going outside of my comfort zone and being a girl that grew up her whole life rodeoing. I can talk to you about animal welfare all day, but as soon as you ask me about migrant worker visas, I think, you know, well, my parents had kids. That's where they get the work from. So it was really about reaching out to people with different perspectives, which was really, really neat 
kind of be in the middle of. Um, so, so when they when they gave you those topics, did you have a certain amount of time, you know, days or weeks to be able to to reach out to those farmers that you talked to, or how did that work? Yeah. So originally, when it was supposed to be the in person discussion meet at the Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference in Louisville, we had had the questions for probably two months, maybe longer. I just had them for two months because that happened to be when I started looking at it. So I'd already done some research on a lot of the questions that we were looking at. But then after that was postponed, we didn't really know what was going to happen. So when it got to the virtual discussion meet time, the first two videos that we had to submit, we had 24 hours to do it. So I went out of my way to go ahead and talk to people. And especially since they were short three minutes video videos, I wanted to kind of solidify my ideas and what kind of solutions Farm Bureau should work to implement in a very structured way. So really, it was a lot of reaching out. We had almost 24 hours in advance for each of the questions virtually. So that was really helpful as far as being able to reach out to someone and have kind of that conversation about what ideas were flowing through my head and solidifying where I stood, which is something that I wouldn't have been able to do if it had been in person. So Quite frankly, having it virtual, I think, made the conversation a lot richer hmm. than it maybe would have been if students had been given their question one minute before they were supposed to stand up and speak. So we talked a bit about the labor shortage issue, but what about the issue of breaking down barriers to implement uh, agriculture technology? What, what were some of the things that were discussed there? Yeah, uh, honestly, in the final four round, when I brought up that as more of a long-term solution. I'd spoken to, I have a friend who went to the Agriculture Future of America Technology Institute and worked for Raven Industries this summer. And he said, you know, here's the problem. We have a grain cart that can drive itself right next to the tractor. And we have a sprayer that when you turn left around the field, it's going to make the left wing spray less pesticide and the right wing spray more. So you're getting an even coverage. He said, there's so many cool technologies we have, but people want, don't want to adapt them. And if something goes wrong as far as self-driving technology, we don't know who's going to be responsible. Mm. So there's, there were a lot of issues like that that I tried to bring up. And uh, since it was a little bit more of a contest uh, from other perspectives, they, um, the people that I was in the final four round with, they all kind of tried to bring it back to their own area. And so there wasn't a huge time to discuss about technology. And I don't know that it's something that any of us were very well versed in, mm -hmm. but I definitely felt like it was something worth mentioning. But there are a lot of barriers. And uh, actually another question, I'm gonna go ahead and bring this up, was a cell-based meat question. So one of the policies we discussed about cell-based meat and kind of implementing it into the wider agriculture meat market, we spoke about taking away the policy that Farm Bureau supports that says non-traditional meat cannot label their products as meat because that's not a great way to say, hey, why don't you come work with us agriculturalists, but you can't label your products as meat. So there were a lot of different interesting perspectives as far as policies like that and how maybe retracting on some of the things that we've said in the past can lead us to a better future for all of agriculture. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you open up a, a lot of great discussions here through just these uh, handful of topics. What's next for you after this? Uh, well, I, I probably should be more of a long-term thinker, but I'm definitely a short-term gal. Uh, so 
this summer, actually, I received a stipend from Purdue's College of Agriculture that will provide my housing for a summer in Washington, D.C., and I've been admitted to serve in the White House as an intern for this summer. Wow. So this summer is really going to be finding out if I like the government affairs side of things or if I'm going to be better served in a position where I can lead initiatives that Farm Bureau would be with. I Really, this contest has been incredible because I, after this discussion meet, I could see myself fitting in with the group of Farm Bureau very, very well. But this summer will definitely be just a next step to decide if I like the government policy side of things or if I'm going to be more comfortable in a cornfield with my farmers. So that's that's the first next step and then after that we're going to kind of see where it goes <laughs> well that's really exciting stuff now i understand you you're studying agriculture communications and agriculture economics at purdue and you you're set to receive your bachelor's degree in 2022 yeah yeah so that's obviously definitely another goal that i'm reaching for and then uh, not not sure about this yet i haven't talked to my advisor but i think it would be really worth it to start pursuing some undergraduate research not sure in what and then maybe eventually at some point trying to look for my master's i love it that's a, that's exciting stuff and i tell you what we, we we certainly congratulate you on the honor of winning the virtual collegiate discussion meet and uh we would love to have you back at, at the end of the summer here to find out about the experiences at the white house because i have a feeling uh, uh, you're going to be in for a really interesting summer there Oh, yeah, absolutely. Decided this is definitely the best summer to do it. And when uh, when I got the stipend originally to move to D.C., we are in the middle of impeachment, and now we're in the middle of an election year and in the middle of a pandemic. So it is very, it is definitely going to be an interesting summer to be in Washington, D.C. and the White House. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll check back in with you. But, uh, Grace, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us here on, on Fast Line Fast Track and wish you the best of luck with everything. Yeah, thank you very much. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And now I want to bring in somebody else who has had some experience in making the most of their time here uh, during the pandemic. I want to bring in Allie Lozen from Hartford, Wisconsin, who is a student at Slinger High School and is in the FFA there. And she has planned an online livestock show that has uh, re- really drawn a lot of attention. Allie, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you for having me on. So COVID-19 has canceled a lot of livestock shows around the country and the United States and uh, threatening to cancel a lot of the the state and county fairs. And uh, you, you've kind of taken matters into your own hands here. Yeah, I have. Um, it's been a struggle to watch all the shows that we planned on going to and the ones that we um, we grew up in the ring at, like our county and state fair. It's been real hard to watch them just kind of diminish throughout the pandemic. So you uh, came up with the idea of the Corona Kicker Livestock Show. Tell me all about it. So our livestock show is a virtual national show. Um, we have four judges that are known nationally in their respective species. Um, it is for junior age showmen, so around the age of 8 to 20 or so, um, depending on what state you're in, um, to exhibit their market livestock, and that is in cattle, hogs, sheep, and goats. And so virtual shows have been going on uh, in the livestock industry for sales, but this might be the first uh, judging show for youth. Yeah, there have been a couple of them that have been hosted by um, larger corporations, um, such as the Show Cattle Connection or ShowPig.com or Walton Webcasting. Um, but 
this is the first one that we know of that is at this scale um, that's run by an individual. So how did you go about getting the judges that you have for your show? Um, our blind judge, Miles Kenyon, um, he is a jockey in both cattle and swine, and I work with him very closely um, each year when I buy my show calves. And so I kind of talked to him, gave him my idea. Um, he said that he judged swine, and then he gave me contact information for our um sheep, goat, and cattle judge, and then that's how I got connected with them. As far as reaching out to the other ones, were they on board immediately when you contacted them? Oh, definitely. They said yes right away, and we offered payment, but a lot of them said that they would want to to judge the show for free to help us out and to help out the kids. Very cool. And then did you also go out and get some sponsors for it as well? Yeah, we have contacted some of the um, larger show feed corporations and show livestock corporations. Um, we've talked to Showright Feed, um, Lindner Feed, Kent, Purina Show Channel, Sunglow, um, all those companies. And we've gotten a sponsorship from Showright Feed, but um, we're still waiting on responses from the rest of them. Um, and then we have sponsorships from smaller like family operations and such um, from across the country as well. The, I understand the deadline for registering for the show is May 15th. What day will the show be held and, and how will people be able to see it? Yeah, so the registration papers are due on the 15th. And then the 18th, we have our hog videos due. The 19th is for cattle videos, the 20th for sheep, and the 21st for goats. Um, and then... Uh, it's just a 60 to 90 second video and a profile, a side profile picture that we're asking for. Um, and those videos will get sent off to our judges and they'll have until the 24th to evaluate. Um, we have a spreadsheet set up for them to, um, place their classes, give reasons, set up the champions and select the top five overall. Um, and then we will release the champions and everything on or all the class placings, actually, on the 24th, like I said. And all the um, reasons from the judges will come out with that. And then we'll post the pictures, like the side profile pictures, when we do the results as well. So when they send in the videos, you guys are going to be judging everything, same as uh, they would if they were in a show ring. Yeah, exactly. We have asked that in the videos, um, they get shots of all the sides. So both side profiles, the front and the rear, and as well as the animal walking. Um, so that they can judge it pretty much how they would in the show ring, watch how the animal moves, if they pop their hocks or anything, um, how filled out they are. And um, we have asked that all the animals are fit up and clipped and sheared and everything like they would be in the show ring to make it as much of the normal appeal as we can get it, even though this is nowhere near our normal. So if folks are, are hearing this and they're interested in it, how can they find out more and how can they get a hold of you? So um, we have a Facebook and Instagram page. Our Facebook is just the Corona Kicker Livestock Show. Um, and our Instagram is the same thing, no spaces, underlines, anything. Um, otherwise, our email is Show at gmail.com. Um, and then on our Facebook page, my phone number is on there and I've gotten Lots of calls and texts for questions, which is a really easy way to reach me. So to date, how many people have registered for the show, and, and what what kind of a goal have you set for yourself? So currently, we just counted up yesterday. We have about 100 head registered. Um, we've gotten them slowly, maybe one or two a day since we started the show. But yesterday, we got 11 through both mail and email. 
So um, hopefully as the due date comes closer, they'll keep flooding in like they did. And um, our goal right now is to have 150 head across the board, um, which I think is pretty reachable with how many people have contacted us for registration forms and everything. If this thing turns out to be a success, like it's looking like it is, is this something you can see continuing on in the future? I was just talking about this with my parents last night, and since we're just a market show, there have been some people that we've had to turn away because all they have is breeding heifers or breeding bulls or um, weather dams or whatnot. Um, and so we talked and we said that maybe once we get this all over, we'll do a breeding show at the end of June um, with the same virtual format. And then my dad and I were talking on our way to pick up some cows a couple of weeks ago saying that maybe next year or the year after we might rent out our county fairgrounds here and host a jackpot show because we've had so much fun putting all this together and meeting so many new people. Well, this is a really exciting thing you're doing here. Uh, how, how are you uh, dealing uh, with all this as a student? Um, it's been kind of a struggle, but it's going okay. Um, I get up at 4.30 every morning to help my family do chores on our operations here. And then right when I get inside, I get started on my homework. And then I come back out at noon and work with my show animals and try to get them all set up in case we do end up having a show sometime later in the summer. And then the afternoon is pretty much spent sorting through registrations and everything. So my day is pretty busy, and my family stays up with me until like 11 o'clock at night packaging T-shirts, sweatshirts, and yard signs. But it's a good family bonding thing, and it's a good thing to fill my time. That's awesome. Tell me a bit about your family's farming operation. Um, we have a 60-acre farm here in Hartford. Um, we raise around 120 head of dairy beef feeder cattle per year. Um, we raise them from about three days old till the time that they are 500 pounds. And then we sell them to other local operations to be fed out and finished. Um, on the operation, we have eight head of beef cows, and they are all about to calve here within the next two weeks. Um, and then we keep the heifers, and then we sell the bulls to the stockyard. Um, we have 10 head of market lambs on the farm here for showing and everything. We have four head of beef um, steers for showing. And then on another farm in the area, we have um, almost a half dozen um, breeding ewes that we um, raise lambs out of every year. Very cool. And I understand that uh, you've been showing livestock ever since you were old enough to be in 4-H. Yeah, um, I started, we have a little program in our county where you can start showing um, baby calves when you're three or four years old. So my dad and I would go into the ring every year um, until I turned eight and was able to show in the junior show. Um, and then I started with dairy steers and, uh, cat, or, and sheep here. And then slowly transitioned over into beef steers. And then our show lamb operation just kind of took off. And we've been getting a couple more head every year. Well, this is really awesome stuff. And I certainly wish you the best of luck with it. And we'd like to uh, follow up with you here in a 
in a few weeks and find out how everything turned out. Yeah, thank you. Well, again, we've been talking with Allie Lozen from Hartford, Wisconsin. She is the mastermind behind the Corona Kicker Livestock Show. And if you're interested and you're a, a young shower and you want to get involved in it, make sure you send an email to Corona Kicker Livestock Show at gmail.com or check out the Facebook page. And Allie, thank you much for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, next up this week, pork producers are facing a challenging time as they navigate the changing markets amid the COVID-19 pandemic. From plummeting prices, changes in feed supply, packer disruptions, and limited buyers, hog farmers are facing a financial disaster with losses estimated at $5 billion for the remainder of the year. David Herring, a hog farmer from North Carolina and a National Pork Producers Council board member, says bluntly, the industry's in dire straits right now. I'll give you a real-life example. I have a good customer that lives here in North Carolina. He has about 6,500 sows. He sold wean pigs last week for $2.50 a piece, and that was including the freight to get them to the Midwest. So basically, he gave his pigs away. In that same week, a wean pig in China brought $300. So if you don't think we don't have trade disruption, we do. We are at the point in this industry that we need reduction. The opportunity on these trade fronts have not materialized, and we just have too many hogs in this country today. And the COVID-19 has just brought that forward faster. Dwayne Statler from Ohio says farmers need to move product now. It's sort of a perfect storm that has come together and it's making it tough on everybody but whatever kind of a program we do we've got to move product and we have to move product now you just can't slow down the system we always figured that this industry could make two maybe three weeks at most of much of a slowdown before it had a critical level and we're approaching that right now and we need to move product in the in the biggest way however however we can do it. Family-operated farms face steep losses amid the pandemic. Brent Sandage, a Missouri pork producer, says farms who are trying to make up the difference to produce pigs are running out of cash to do so. I ran a cash flow here not that long ago. Looked like we'd have a nice profit, and then I ran it again here a couple weeks ago, and we're looking at a $2.5 million loss, and we're just a family farm here. We have a 3500 South Fair to Finish operation. And uh, we're eating through our liquid assets pretty quick. And then we've got to keep our people employed. We've got pigs that you know, have to be fed and everything has to be done. But uh, I, I just don't know how to do that for a very long period of time. In recent years, market conditions signaled an upcoming growth in demand. However, things beyond the control of producers have abruptly changed the market, according to Pat Albright, a Michigan pig farmer. Albright says currently producers are having a difficult time finding buyers for their pigs. All of us up to two years ago made prudent business decisions pertaining to what we thought the future held. African swine fever hit China. We knew that there was going to be a huge protein hole created by that. And so a lot of us put plans in place to fill that. Of course, we had hoped to make money in the process of filling that. But things beyond our control have prevented us from being able to fill that. So coming into this, we were not in very good shape. It's getting to a point where we in the industry will have to euthanize baby pigs. There will be no place to go with them. That situation, I don't know how to explain that any better, but it is extremely extremely dire. With already ongoing trade and labor issues and now the COVID-19 pandemic impacts, farmer Bob Dykus, also of Michigan, says the outlook is not good. Looking forward, when we project it's 30, 40, 50 dollars ahead losses through the end of the year. And so (laughs) 
we need help. And the market is telling us to liquidate the easy inventory, to get control, to reduce losses. There's not margin over feed, and that's where we're at. It's really, really hard to plan. National Pork Producers Council President Howard A.V. Roth, a pork producer from Wisconsin, says he's having trouble finding buyers for his piglets as well, and prices have plummeted. Roth says the industry needs immediate help. Guys, we, on the farm, we need the money now. We needed it last week. The decisions being made on the farms are grave, and also the same in the food chain. If this isn't stepped in by the government with massive and urgent help, this is not only going to change the food supply chain when it comes to pork, but it is going to change farmers in this country for many years to come, and I don't think we'll ever get it back the way it was. The National Pork Producers Council is asking federal policymakers to authorize more than $1 billion in U.S. pork purchases through the USDA to supply food banks that are facing increased need, along with equitable direct payments to producers without eligibility restrictions and a legislative fix to emergency loan programs that have left farmers behind. Learn more online at nppc.org. And sticking with the pork industry, with plant closures and slowdowns, this is a challenging time for all pork producers. The backlog in the supply chain has forced farmers into a worst-case scenario. National Pork Board President David Newman says very difficult decisions are being made on the farm. This isn't just an economic crisis. This is an emotional crisis for our producers as well. And when these things come at hand, they're not taken lightly. We want to make sure that we have resources there, not just for our animals, but for our producers as well. With COVID-19, there are still a lot of unknowns and changes that are happening daily and even hourly. The latest developments can be found online at pork.org. Newman encourages producers to use those resources. To be quite honest with you, this is what Checkoff is all about, taking a small amount of producers' dollars and utilizing them to provide the resources that our producers need. We talk a lot about moving at the speed of business or being nimble, but it's being a factual resource of information for producers that is timely. It's right now. Newman emphasizes no one cares more about these animals than the people who raise them. Our producers live by our We Care principles at all times and still now, especially as it relates to animal well-being, the environment, caring for the people that are in our industry. This is not just an animal problem. This is a people problem, too. Certainly people can relate to that right now with the entire world being crippled by COVID-19. The Pork Checkoff has digital resources available regarding the current coronavirus situation, emergency best management practices, and communication tools. That can be found at pork.org forward slash COVID-19. For more information, producers can contact the Pork Checkoff Service Center. Go to pork.org or call 800-456-PORK. Well, next up on Fastline Fast Track, Dodge's Ram pickup truck brand has put together a competitive program aimed at providing discounts to Ram buyers on everything from seed and fertilizer to farm equipment, implements, and tires. The Ram agricultural package is offered through a network of more than 300 dealers nationwide. We recently had a chance to catch up with program spokesman Lyle Orwig to learn more about it. Lyle, welcome into Fastline Fast Track. Thank you very much, Brad. So one of the things on display here is AgPack. Ram has partnered with different uh, companies here in agriculture to uh, offer some great discounts, man. Tell us about what you got going on here. Well, we work with the uh, Ram dealers and certify them to understand agriculture. We take them through a video-based training program so they have a better idea of the farmers that they're working with. And then when they become a Ram agriculture dealer, then they are eligible to offer farmers AgPack. 
And AgPAC, as you said, uh, includes companies like uh, Michelin, Rhino Ag, Reinke, uh, Dixie Chopper, etc., uh, who then offer discounts. So when a, a grower buys a truck uh, from a certified ag dealer, then that also makes them eligible for AgPAC. And the average redemption for growers last year was over $10,000 worth of materials that they're going to buy for the farm anyway. Wow. So not only do you get a powerful, beautiful Dodge Ram pickup truck, uh, but, but you get a ton of savings. It's just so beneficial. You see more companies going to, to these package type things. And if you're looking to save money on the farm, why, why not? Absolutely. And uh, you have a full year to redeem any of those. And uh, when you buy the truck, the uh, dealer will put your name into our redemption program. And then our redemption specialists will give you a call and say, are you ready to redeem any of these? Are you interested in anything? And then uh, they'll call you a couple more times during the year to remind you. You have these left if you have any interest, so you don't have to worry about keeping track yourself. Well, if folks want to know more about this whole program, where can they go to learn? Go right to the Internet and look at www.ramagdealer.com. So make sure you get to that website, ramagdealer.com. And, Lyle, we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Finally, this week, it's a pleasure for me to bring in Rich Price, the singing Sierra. He's got a new single out called Grand Canyon from the Western Songs album. For years, he's been turning out great Western music, and he's got a great story to tell. And Rich, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track, and thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today. Oh, Brent, it's so good to talk to you this morning and to talk to all of our friends and the listeners, and uh, so nice to be visiting with you. And, and uh, I'm talking to you from out in California, just a few miles from Yosemite, the high Sierras, and and I think I'm talking to you in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. That's correct. You talk about the uh, Yosemite area. That's a really special area for you, I understand. Uh, you've got a lot of history there. Yeah, it, it's it's where I grew up. Uh, grew up around the San Francisco Bay Area, which is just a few miles from Yosemite. And when I was going to, to Cal, the University of California, during the summer times, I'd go up to Yosemite on June 1st and ride the High Sierra Trails until September 1st and take out the horseback rides. We'd ride up in the high country and, and uh, throughout the valley and rode about 30 miles a day. Then at night, I'd sing Western songs, cowboy songs, country songs for the folks uh, at barbecues and, and uh, at campfires and shows for two or 3,000 people at night at a place called Camp Curry, where there would be a firefall each night where they'd, they'd push burning embers over a 7,000-foot cliff, and these burning embers would fall about maybe 2,050 feet, and it would be a beautiful firefall for about five minutes of burning embers going over these gray granite cliffs, and there'd be about 2,000 people at the foot of this uh, cliff seeing this beautiful firefall each night and uh i guess i guess this is kind of an unusual concept we don't see burning embers coming over gray granite cliffs every night do we no no not at all i'm just sitting here trying to picture it as you're talking thanks for all you do all the time appreciate it i'm delighted to be able to get to do uh what we get to do every day and uh and bring great music like uh what you got here, I know your big influences. Uh, you, you talk about the, the days on the trails uh, influenced by Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and, and, and John Wayne and the like. And how did you take that from, uh, you know, singing on trails 
and entertaining the folks there in Yosemite to actually recording. Well, you know, you, you're, you're so right. You know, it's it's a. Uh, I think, I think uh, the, the songs that I write and the music that I, I love and have always loved, it's just about us. It's about people. It's about it's about us. It's about our lives and and uh, it's about our country and and uh, our, our country is such a great example of the human spirit, how our pioneers, you know, would land on the different coasts and they settle this great land, you know, 3,000 miles across and about 2,500 miles, you know, wide and deep. And they just landed, you know, on the shores, the eastern shores and made their way across the country, you know, to the west coast and settled it and uh, did such heroic, brave things. And that's just the music that I love. It's the music of, of our people, and our people represent humanity. And uh, they're the songs about our mountains and trees and the beautiful southern pines and tall redwoods out in the west and, and the Rockies and the Sierras and the southern woodland and the Great Basin and the Grand Canyon. And it's just songs about all of us that I love so much. So, so you took those, and and somehow you got to Nashville. How did that end up? I, I, all my life, I've I've written songs, and and uh, it's just the way that I express my emotions. And I, I I did that as I was growing up and working in Yosemite and riding the trails. And when I graduated from college, I went into the military for about three years and met some great people there, and and. Uh, continued to write songs and when I finished my military service I had a great time down at Fort Benning Georgia and I was up at Baltimore Maryland for a while and then beautiful Seattle Washington for about two years and saw some beautiful country and met some great people and after I finished traveling with the military and came back to the city by the Golden Gate to San Francisco and close to Yosemite again I started going down to Nashville, taking songs I had written, and uh, just started to meet the wonderful people down there that I'd have I heard of all my life, and I'd just walk through a door into a publishing company or a record company, and I'd the folks were so warm and and welcoming, and I'd shake hands with someone, and they'd tell me who they were, and I'd introduce myself, and when I asked them about what they did, they were the ones that had created all the music I'd heard all my life. And I was so thrilled to meet everyone that that's that's how I first went down there and, and met those good folks. And and uh, Hank Snow was always someone that I loved. He was one of my idols and inspirations. I love the way he sang. I love the songs that he wrote. And I love the way he touched his beautiful guitar. And uh, I, I met a lot of people, but I never met one of my idols, Hank Snow. And uh, one day at RCA, uh, I told uh, to a, a, one of the secretaries, and she gave me his home phone number. And I called him one day from California and told him I was coming to Nashville. And, and uh, he said, well, you know, Chet Atkins is the one that is the one that uh, listens to all of the songs that I record and he picks them out and then he gives them to me and I make the final decision. He said, 
all set you up with an appointment with Chester. <laughs> and I was so excited, you know, to meet Chet Atkins and talking to my idol, Hank Snow. And uh, he uh, uh, he said, well, you know, Chester's a little bit busy. I'll, I'll uh, get you an appointment with Ronnie Light, you know, my uh, my other producer. So I met Ronnie and, and uh, went over songs together, and that was a great thrill for me, Brent. And, and, uh, and it was a few years later, we were playing in Los Angeles, and I needed a lead guitar player because my guitar player had gotten sick. And I called Ronnie, and he flew out and played lead guitar for me. He had an appearance in Los Angeles. But it was always a great thrill for me to go back to Nashville and meet the people that had been my spiritual inspirations and writing the songs and putting out the recordings that really were my, what you might call my my inspiration and my religious training, so to speak. I guess you're probably thinking, boy, I'm sorry I asked this guy that question. No, no, it's all fascinating stuff to me. And I, I sit here and I look at the uh, list of, of folks that you've worked with over the years, and, and certainly there isn't a slouch among them. Uh, you, you know, among them, Harold Bradley, Charlie McCoy, the great Jimmy Caps, Joey Miskelin of uh, Right Eyes in the Sky, Andy Rice, and uh, Brad Albin of the Time Jumpers. I mean, this is uh, uh, this is big league stuff. Oh, Brennan, it, it's it's a thrill for you to 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 say that because as as you were reading those names, it was giving me chills because. Uh, they're, they've always been my idols, and then they still are. And uh, it's 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 a every time I think of what you just said, it, it gives me chills. I I love those people so much. And uh, you know, uh, when, when whenever I get to go down there and see these people, if we're going to record the next morning, uh, I can hardly go to sleep the night before. And I, a few years ago, when I did this for the first time. I, I, uh, that, that happened to me. I, I, I was <laughs> going to sleep on a Sunday night down at a nice place that I had just checked into. And the next morning I was going to walk into the recording studio and uh, Grady Martin, the great, great player that played on Marty Robbins, El Paso and then mm-hmm. plays that, you know, unique guitar on El Paso. He was going to be the lead guitar player and Pete Drake was the great steel player. And Dale Sellers was going to be there, and Charlie McCoy was going to be there, and the Nashville edition were going to have their voices. And I could hardly sleep the night before. I was so anxious to walk into a room in the morning and meet Marty Robbins, guitar player on El Paso, and Pete Drake, and Dale Sellers, and, and those folks. And, and uh, it's still the same way, you know, to me always when I, I'm around those people. We. I've been so lucky to spend some time with the great Jimmy Caps, and whenever we have a recording session, and I'm going to see those folks, you know, in an hour the next morning, I, I can hardly wait, and when I'm with them, I can hardly believe I'm looking at them. <laughs> I, I can believe that, and I, I've experienced something similar every time we go down and record those sessions. It just uh, there, there's something about it that that you just can't. Uh, there, there's no comparison for it. You're so right, and that as you're speaking, I was just realizing what what's happening, and what what we're doing is we we might spend three minutes singing a song, and the songs that we're singing are all about our lives. You know, the wonderful people that are out there listening to our music, and we're doing nothing more than just 
sharing an emotion of life with each other. And it's just being recorded so that it can be shared with everybody. And those songs are just like having a visit with each one of our listeners and each other. No question. But the, you know, the lasting impact of it is the part that always fascinates me. I mean, not, not only are you recording something for the here and now, but uh, long after we're all gone, you know, I look back at uh, some of the work that was done by Hank Snow, that was done by Hank Williams, or, uh, you know, fill in the blank, any of those legends, you, you know, they're, they're long gone, but this work is, is going to live on for generations and stand the test of time. Brent, those are such beautiful words. You're so right. You're so right because uh, sometime when we're alone and we're uh, just driving a car or, or riding a trail or sitting by ourselves thinking or, or working during the day uh, in an office or on the top of a tractor or on the back of a horse or, you know, in a cabin or in a 25-story office building, we might be hearing, you know, a line from Hank Williams or Hank Snow or Hank Thompson or Marty Robbins, you know, or Roy Acuff. And, and, uh, and those songs just are with us all the time and just give us inspiration. No question. And I know you do, uh, derive still today part of your inspiration uh, from the horse life. You train and, uh, and work with uh, quarter horses with your daughter, Melanie, who also barrel races. Right. We're, we're living right out in horse country. Uh, uh, I live in a town called Oakdale, California, and it's just about two hours from Yosemite and two hours from from San Francisco. It's in the San Joaquin Valley. And the San Joaquin Valley is a beautiful, fertile valley where it's known for raising cattle and horses and and it feeds an awful lot of the world, a lot of uh, Food is, is grown between Bakersfield and the Oregon-California border. And we're just about two or three hours from Bakersfield, the home of Buck Owens mm. and Merle Haggard. And uh, a lot of California's country music uh, was given birth right here in San Francisco and Yosemite's in California's San Joaquin Valley. We've got a couple new shows to talk about that you're doing with a uh, new network called Entertainment TV, Cheyenne Country, and also a new uh, Western movie theater show called King of the Cowboys. That's right, Brent. We, we've got a new show uh, called King of the Cowboys Theater, and Rich Price, the singing Sierra, introduces Roy Rogers, the King of the Cowboys, <laughs> in in a Roy Rogers movie on each episode. And uh, it's a thrill for me because I've always loved Roy so much and everything he stood for. And he certainly was and is and always will be a great representative of America on his beautiful Palomino horse riding through the beautiful outdoors. And and uh, we, we filmed introductions to about 54 Roy Rogers movies. Wow. And it was a great thrill for me because each time I'd be introducing those films, I'd be thinking about the film itself. And when I first saw it and thinking about my hero, Roy, and his beautiful golden Palomino, and I sure hope all of our friends and neighbors uh, enjoy seeing those Roy Rogers movies. And the ones I loved especially were some of Roy's color movies where you see his beautiful golden Palomino and his beautiful outfits and 
that beautiful silver saddle and see Boy Willing and the Riders of the Purple Sage and Bob Nolan and the Sons of the Pioneers and in beautiful true color and living color in those films. And I sure hope that a lot of our wonderful friends and neighbors and listeners get some enjoyment in visiting with Roy Rogers on the King of the Cowboys Theater. I'd like to just be having a cup of coffee with you, and it'd be wonderful for us to relax and watch one of these movies together. Oh, I would love it. You can't, you can't beat those classics. And we should mention, for folks who are interested, Entertainment TV can be found on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV. So if you want to check them out, that's where you go. Just download that app and, and make sure you start checking out everything uh, being done there for Entertainment TV. Oh, it'll be so good to see all the folks, and uh, and it'll be nice to meet everybody in person one of these days. So uh, what's on the horizon for you? Well, just as soon as we get out of here, we're, we're going down to see the folks in San Angelo and, and making an appearance in uh, San Antonio and uh, in Oklahoma City, and uh, we'll be back out seeing everybody and visiting with someone. Well, hopefully it's not in the far distant future. And with, yeah, with a little bit of help from the man upstairs, we should be a lot safer as each day goes by. Most definitely. So what are you doing to uh, keep yourself occupied uh, during the days of quarantine? We're doing, doing a lot of songwriting and getting over to our daughter's ranch, which is only about 15 minutes away, and getting out among the horses. And, and uh, it's wonderful with being out and getting on the back of a horse these days because it's something that is unlimited and, and, and not something that you can't do in this quarantine. And, uh, and then taking rides up uh, for about two hours up to Yosemite, up to the mountains. When you uh, leave our house here, just about, oh, maybe in an hour or two, you're in the foothills of the Sierras and, and uh, spending time up there, Brent. And, and, uh, I just wish you and, and everybody was out here and could spend an afternoon with me just riding up into the high Sierras. And, and uh, I can't wait to get down to beautiful Kentucky and back to Tennessee, which hopefully we'll be doing in just a few short days and, and maybe a, a month or so. Well, I can't wait to do that either because I tell you what, you paint a beautiful picture of it. So what's one thing that uh, maybe you haven't done as a singer-songwriter in your career uh, that you still have on your to-do list? Oh, bless bless your heart. Well, you know, I would say that, <laughs> that that's you're just asking the most wonderful question. And, uh, and, and I guess when you talk about the one thing, you know, that's left to do, I think that I would have to start from the beginning. <laughs> I, I would say that you, you never, I guess, can write enough songs and see enough of our wonderful people. Spend, you know, as much time as you'd like to on the back of our a horse, visiting with the people that you love. And, and uh, I would say, you know, I've never thought of a question like that. But it's a wonderful question, and and I think my answer, just without thinking, would be that the thing I love most is being out with our wonderful people, the people of our country, the people of this world, sharing the emotions of life, you know, uh, things that matter to them, 
things that make them cry and make them laugh and through a song and sharing life together through a song. I always feel that when we're singing a song together, we're just having a visit and sharing the emotions of life through the song. I never consider myself a musician, a guitar player, or a singer, but rather we're just visiting together through a song. I want to remind everybody that they can check out your music at CD Baby, also Amazon and iTunes. And if you want to know more about Rich, make sure you go to his website, which is richpricethesingingsierran.com. Again, richpricethesingingsierran.com and learn all about the great music and the, the great history of Rich Price and his adventures. And Rich, you're a beautiful soul, man, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk to me about everything you have going on. And, Brent, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, I'll see you shortly in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky, and you've sure got an open invitation to be right here in Oakdale, California, in the San Joaquin Valley, and uh, I just can't can't wait to see you in person, and it's going to happen in just a few days when we get through this storm. The sun's going to shine very soon. Most definitely. We're, we're going to keep the faith and we're, we're going to keep believing that. And Rich, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I really appreciate well, it. Well, listen, uh, I send loads of love to you, Brent, and to all of our listeners. And I can't thank you enough. Again, that was Rich Price. And we're going to let you listen to some of his incredible music now. Mighty Colorado Cuts a path So deep and wide That only Mother Nature Could design Control and guide Just one look It's plain to see Timeless work By heaven's hand Standing here I'll always be Thankful for this Canyon Grand Canyon Grand, oh Canyon Grand Awesome heart by God's own hand Come with me, you'll understand Why I love this Canyon Grand Canyon Grand, oh Canyon Grand Awesome heart by God's own hand Come with us, you'll understand Why we love this Canyon Grand There I see the grandeur of God's loving, mighty hand It causes me to wonder why he made this canyon grand Yellowstone Yosemite, timeless works by God's own hand Standing here it's plain to see that same hand touch canyon grand Awesome art by God's own hand 
Canyon Grand, oh Canyon Grand Awesome art by God's own hand Come with me, you'll understand Why I love this Canyon Grand Why I love this Canyon Grand Why we love this canyon man
and one who's waiting there for me in Nashville, Tennessee. Each time the airplane takes me from Nashville, Tennessee, I ask the Lord in heaven when my return might be. It makes me sad to say goodbye to what's all the world to me. Each time the airplane takes me from Nashville, Tennessee, It makes me sad to say goodbye to what's all the world to me. Each time the airplane takes me from Nashville, Tennessee. And that was Rich Price, the singing Sierra. Don't forget to check him out at www.richpricethesingingsierran.com. And while you're out there online, be sure to check out fastline.com. Find those hay and forage tools, tractors, trucks, trailers, and so much more. Be sure to check out the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. And while you're out there on the website, be sure to subscribe to the Fastline catalog for your state or region. Even in the midst of the pandemic, Fastline is here for you. And we're sending out that catalog right to your farm. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget to add our Spotify playlist to your library for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. Next week, we'll continue to tell the story of how COVID-19 is affecting the agriculture industry. We'll talk about Mental Health Month, and we'll talk about Steiger Tractors. We'll also bring you music from our pal Bobby Marquez, who has a couple big virtual events coming up to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastlineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites Fastline.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at Fastline.com.